The question is six or nine. Six or nine. You know, hopefully you, you see on your screen, you have two men. Each one is insisting that he's correct. One is pointing and saying, this is clearly the number six. The other is pointing and saying, this is clearly the number nine. And the question is, how can we know? You know, contemporary thought tries to tell us that they're both right. You know, this picture is actually part of a popular meme, and the caption is usually this. Just because you are right does not mean I am wrong. You just haven't seen life from my side. And this kind of a caption makes us all feel warm and fuzzy inside. Look, nobody's wrong. We're all just right. It's only a matter of perspective or opinion. And, and the problem with that is that while it makes us feel warm and fuzzy, this response is nonsense. Somebody wisely edited this meme to say, but one of those people is wrong. Someone painted a six or a nine. They need to back up, orient themselves, and see if there are any other numbers to align with. You know, maybe there's a driveway or, or a building to face where they can ask someone who actually knows. You see, the, the point is that the author of the number had an intended meaning. It's not just about opinion and perspective. It's about the intention of the author. The author either intended that number to be a six or a nine. And so the way that we, the reader of that number, should interpret that number is by context. Is the number oriented to other numbers? Is it a building or a landmark? Is there someone familiar with the author who knew what the author was trying to communicate? You see, it's not just perspective or opinion. The context reveals the intended meaning. What did the author mean? And friends, the same is true with today's scripture passage. You know, the final verse of today's passage, it's printed on signs and on pillows and on mugs. Ball players write it on the brim of their caps. Weightlifters hang it over the weight bench in their gyms. It's chanted like a mantra in the face of opposition or difficult circumstances or challenges. It's so often used to inspire us to great feats because we believe I can do all things through a verse taken out of context. However, I have, I have. I know everybody's laughing. I just can't hear you. I know. However, I've come here today like Inigo Montoya from The Princess Bride, and I am here to say to you, you keep using that verse. I do not think that verse means what you think that it means. Now, my family warned me that in doing something like this, I should probably just title this sermon after the popular TV show, Adam Ruins Everything. Because, you know, after I first ruined Christmas for everyone and the carol, We Three Kings, now I'm going to ruin what is so many people's favorite scripture verse. So I'm sorry about that, um, but I'm not really that sorry. I'm not really that sorry because we want to correctly understand the meaning of scripture. And in order to do so, we must understand a verse in context. Because context is king in understanding an intended meaning. You know, for example, you may know that the English word set, S-E-T, three letters, has 464 separate definitions in the Oxford English Dictionary. 464 definitions for one word. Or the word run, R-U-N, has 396 definitions. So then how do you know what somebody means by it? Context. Context is king. For, exam for example, Lana set her book on the table so she could play a tennis set. 
Tori set her clock so she wouldn't be late to play her music set. And Alex had to run because he left the water running. Context communicates the intended meaning behind a word. And context, it reveals the intended meaning behind the Bible verse. So this final verse that Abigail read for us, I can do all things through him who strengthens me, it's so often just taken out of its context, and then people say, six, nine, no, it's six, no, it's nine, and we apply it and try to understand it in so many wrong and questionable ways. You know, because what we want this verse to mean might be different from what it does mean. Because, you know, what we want this verse to mean is that as we face the AP calculus test, as we come to mile 20 of the marathon, as we face the mountain of laundry, as we face the next physical challenge, or as we face just another day of quarantine, I can do all things. I can and I will be victorious because Christ will give me strength. That's what we want it to mean. But is that what the context of the verse says that this verse means? Is that what Paul was trying to communicate to us? You know, because you keep using that verse, and I don't know that it means what you think that it means. So let's consider the context of the verse. Now, if you've been studying Philippians with us, you know that Philippians was written by the Apostle Paul as he languishes in a Roman prison 800 miles away from the church in Philippi. Now, the church in Philippi, who was very close to Paul and held him very dear, had heard about Paul's predicament, and so they had taken up a collection and an offering, and they had sent it to Paul as he's in prison by a man named Epaphroditus. And in verse 10, as Abigail read for us, we hear Paul thanking the church in Philippi for their concern and for their gift. And Paul assures them, he says, while your gift was most helpful, and I am so thankful to you for sending it, I don't want you to worry about me. I don't want you to worry because, as he says in verse 12, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Now, imagine as he penned that, Paul might have been thinking back on his life. He might have been thinking back, back on these circumstances that he'd faced. In fact, he might have even been thinking about, about his time in Philippi, when that church first began. Because when we read Acts 16, it tells us that one of the first converts who was a part of that church in Philippi was a woman by the name of Lydia. And the scripture tells us that Lydia was said to be from Thyatira, Thyatira, I should have practiced pronouncing that, a city in a province of Asia. And it was famous, that city was famous for its purple dyes. And Lydia, was, it says, was a seller of purple goods. So really, Lydia was like a leader in the fashion industry. And she likely was very, very wealthy. And we read that after, in Acts 16, after Lydia came to Christ, she insisted that Paul stay with her. And I imagine as Paul writes, I know what it is to abound. He was thinking back on that time in Lydia's house because it had to have been nice. I'm sure the household was plush and that she had servants and food and all kinds of comforts. And Paul writes, I know how to abound. I've been there, not just in Lydia's house, but many other times when things were going so well. However, Paul also writes and he says, I know how to be brought love. And remember, where does he write this from? A Roman prison, unjustly accused, 
locked up and brought love. So through his ministry, Paul says, listen, I've experienced plenty and hunger. I've experienced abundance and need. And Paul says, and I know the secret of doing so. Now, when Paul says, like, I know a secret, it's not like God's trying to hide something. And Paul is like, oh, I I overheard a couple of angels talking. And I'm going to let you in on what I heard. You know, it's not that he heard them whispering and, and heard something he wasn't supposed to hear. Paul's talking about a secret in the sense that many people just don't understand. They don't understand, and they don't yet practice. They haven't yet grasped this. Paul writes in verse 11, he says, I've learned the secret. I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I'm content. I'm satisfied. And friends, contentment and satisfaction. Isn't that exactly what we all struggle with? In fact, you probably remember the song by the Rolling Stones that was once covered by our own Chris Finn and Brian Vandenbrink that's titled, I Can't Get No Satisfaction. Mm-hmm. I loved it when those guys did it. They did such a great job. And I still love that coat, Brian. Mm-hmm. I hope you have it. I Can't Get No Satisfaction is really the anthem of our hearts. You know, we keep trying to convince ourselves, I'll be satisfied once this happens. I'll be satisfied once this changes. I'll find contentment once I have this or I've achieved that. But friends, we cannot find contentment and will never be satisfied no matter what because it will never be enough. You know, John Rockefeller, who was regarded as the richest man in history, was asked, how much money would be enough? And he famously replied, a little bit more. Because it is never enough. It's never enough to bring us contentment. It's never enough to satisfy us. This was the whole message of Jenny Lynn's song in the movie, The Greatest Showman. All the stars of a thousand spotlights, all the stars we see, all the shine of a thousand spotlights, the stars we steal from the night sky will still never be enough. Towers of gold are still too little. These hands could hold the world, but it will never be enough. It will never be enough. You see, friends, contentment and satisfaction will never be found in abounding or facing plenty or in abundance. Paul says we must find contentment elsewhere. Paul says contentment can never, and satisfaction can neither be found in abundance nor can they be stolen when we're brought love. Paul writes to the church in Philippi, I really appreciate the gift you sent me. It means a lot and it helped me greatly, but I just want you to understand that your giving me a gift or your failure to give me a gift can ultimately never add to or detract from my contentment. Your giving me a gift or failing to give me a gift can ultimately never add to or take from my contentment. Paul says, I've learned the secret. I have learned the secret of being content. And that's good news, isn't it? Because that's what we're looking for also. Contentment. We can stop drinking at the salt water well that promises to satiate our thirst. We can stop the never-ending search for satisfaction. We can stop trying to control uncontrollable circumstances. We can stop trying to manipulate others or or their behavior or situations because you can try and you can buy and you can cry and you can pry, but you won't get no satisfaction because it will just never, ever, ever be enough. Paul says contentment is not something that's gained or lost by our circumstances or possession. Paul says the secret of contentment is 
Christ. The secret of contentment is Christ. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. You know, while this translation renders it through Christ, it's the same uh, it's the same preposition that's translated elsewhere as in. So Paul saying, I can do it in Christ, because I am in Christ. You know, in Paul's 13 letters, that phrase, in Christ or in him, or some similar expression is used 164 times. I'm in Christ. That's the central reality of the Christian experience, is that, friends, by faith we are brought into Christ. And Paul says, if I'm in Christ, then I have the strength to be content. This is the gospel, the good news. The good news is that through faith we are in Christ, we're united with him, we're hidden with him, we are in him, and in him we can be brought low or we could abound. We could face plenty or hunger, plenty and hunger, or we could have faced abundance or need, but the fact is we can face all and remain content because we are in Christ. And he gives us strength. So in context, this message is very different from the message that we often get from this verse, isn't it? You know, for example, the student about to take his AP calculus exam, like Samuel did this last week, might quote this verse and say, I can do all things through him who strengthens me, believing this verse means that Christ will definitely give him the strength to ace or to pass the exam. But in the context, we discover the verse actually means that whether the student passes the exam or bombs the exam, being in Christ, the student has the strength to remain content and unshaken and satisfied. That his well-being, that his security, that his identity are not threatened by failure or bolstered by success. His contentment, his satisfaction comes from his union with Christ. I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me. You know, at this point, it seems like forever ago, but Tuesday, I'm sorry, Thursday, March the 26th, Thursday, March the 26th of this year, which was just a little bit more than a month and a half ago, in our morning scripture meditations, can you believe we've been doing this this long, we looked at Psalm 16. And in Psalm 16, King David wrote the exact same thing as Paul is writing here. His contentment, his satisfaction, were found not in circumstance, but in the Lord. His contentment, his, his satisfaction, were found not in circumstance, but in the Lord. In Psalm 16, verses 5 and 6, David writes, The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. Now, the imagery that, that David's using here is from the dividing up of the promised land because the Lord chose and gave portions of the land as an inheritance to the people of Israel according to his great wisdom. And David's contentment makes a powerful statement about trusting God's goodness. He says, you've assigned me my portion and my cup. And so it's good. And isn't that a good reminder for us? Because human nature screams... The grass is greener on the other side of the boundary line. Her portion is bigger. He got a babbling brook on his. Why does my portion have so many stones? I'd be satisfied only if my lot was just a little bigger. I'll be content once I can purchase the adjoining lot. I'll be satisfied once I have better neighbors. 
or I'll be content once I can move myself to a different neighborhood. But friends, it'll never be enough. It's never enough. Eventually you get the better lot or the better neighbors or the nicer neighborhood and you're going to find you're still not satisfied. And David says, I'm content. He doesn't say I'm content because my portion is better than everyone else's. He doesn't say I'm content because my portion is bigger than everyone else's. He doesn't say I'm content because my portion is perfect and doesn't have any problems. He says, I'm content because this is what God has chosen to give me. And I'm content in that. David's content resting securely in God's wisdom and his providence. You've made my boundary lines fall in pleasant places, exactly where they should, and I trust you. It's trust. It's trust because the truth is, our providence, our portion, our lot in life does not always look good. Our portion may not be as big or beautiful as the portion of another. Our path might include suffering and struggle. But if this is what God has chosen to give us, can we trust His goodness? See, both Paul and David say yes. They say both. It ultimately doesn't matter what I have. I can be brought low. I can abound. I can face plenty or hunger or abundance or need. Whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. I'm content. I'm satisfied. And why? Because David says, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. Because as Paul writes, I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me. I have the Lord. I am in Christ. What else do I need? If I am in Christ, if I have the Lord, what can be taken from me? You could take everything from me, and you could give everything to me, and yet I would remain unchanged. Because either way, I have Christ, and Christ is all I need. This is the very truth that we just sang together, isn't it? Hallelujah. All I have is Christ, and hallelujah, Jesus is my life. And you are the treasure that I seek. You are. You're my all in all. And if I have him, friends, what else do I need to be content? What else do I need to be satisfied? David and Paul and the whole of Scripture invites us to sing along as we sang this morning, Come rejoice now, O my soul, for his love, That's my reward. All fear is gone and hope is sure. Why? Because Christ is mine. I'm in Christ now and forevermore. The Lord is my portion. What else do I need? If I have him, everything else can be taken. You can add to me all things and I haven't gained. You can take from me all things and I haven't lost because I have Christ. He's my portion. He's my cup. He holds my lot. He is my inheritance. And whether that lot includes being brought low or abounding, whether it includes facing plenty or hunger or abundance or need, whether the sun is shining down on me or the road is marked with suffering, I can say, blessed be your name. I can say, it is well with my soul. I can say, I am content and I am satisfied because I am in Christ. And he's all I need. So whether in the midst of pandemic or in the midst of peace, Whether we can gather as large groups or we remain socially isolated. Whether we have plenty of toilet paper or just one roll left to our name. He is our chosen portion. And we trust that he gives us what we need. We trust that he'll give us strength to be satisfied no matter what we experience. 
You know, what we really want when we come to a passage like this is we want five easy steps to contentment. And friends, if I could give you five easy steps to contentment, I would write my book and I would retire right now because it would be a bestseller. Because we're all looking for five easy steps to contentment. The problem is we look at a verse like this and we discover there are not five easy steps to contentment. Contentment is only found in Christ. And friends, it's not always easy. Paul writes, I have learned. I have learned to be content. We learn contentment as we live in Christ. There's no shortcut. There's no easy steps. Christ has to become to us more and more. And all these other things become less and less. Church, Christ must become more and our circumstances become less. Suffering will become less. Being brought low and facing plenty and hunger becomes less. Abounding and having plenty and abundance becomes less. Jesus becomes more and it all becomes less. You know, there's a song that I would one day love for us to learn together as a congregation. And it's titled, Jesus is Better. And the bridge of that chorus says, In all my sorrows, Jesus is better. Make my heart believe. In all my victories, Jesus is better. Make my heart believe. Than any comfort, Jesus is better. Make my heart believe. More than all riches, Jesus is better. Make my heart believe. Our souls declaring, Jesus is better. Make my heart believe. Our song eternal, Jesus is better. Make my heart believe. Better than sorrows, better than victories, better than comfort, better than riches, greater than plenty or hunger, Jesus is better. And the repeated prayer in that refrain, make my heart believe. What's the path to contentment? Make my heart believe, Lord, that Jesus is better, that he is more, that he is greater, that if I am in Christ, I have the strength to be content. Because you can take everything from me, and I'm unchanged. You can give everything to me, And I am unchanged because I am still in Christ and he is all I need. Because Jesus is better. So the secret to contentment found in this often misunderstood and misquoted verse is the secret to contentment is Christ. Christ must become more. So Father, make our hearts believe. It doesn't promise us that Christ is always going to give us the strength to be successful or prosperous. It promises us the strength that whether we succeed or fail, whether we prosper or lack, we can face all things in Christ and be satisfied in Him. And so friends, what are you facing right now? And how are you facing it? And how will you now face it? Who is Jesus Christ? Is He better? Father, make our hearts believe. Let me pray for you. Father, make our hearts believe. Make our hearts believe that Jesus is better. Make us content in Him and in Him alone. Father, I pray that you would help us whether we abound or whether we suffer. Whether we have or we have not. Father, remind us that Jesus is better. And that we can do all things in Christ 
who gives us strength. Help us to face these coming, coming days as uncertain as they are, but help us to do so with contentment because you've made our hearts believe that Jesus is better and is all that we need. And in his name we pray. Amen.